Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bulletin Scouting Podcast. This is another Q&A session in which you ask the questions on Instagram, and we're going to answer them right here. And we are joined today by our special guest, Nathan, from Cover One and Seventh Round. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm good, guys. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to hear. And we're gonna we're gonna start off with uh, our thoughts on the the trade that went down today, in which the Jets sent Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers for this year's sixth rounder and next year's second and fourth rounder. What are your initial thoughts on this trade? That was really the NFL news of the day, Alex. Yeah, so I mean, I really thought it was a win win for both sides. <clears throat> I think if you look at it um, from the Jets' perspective, they were going to move on from Darnold no matter what. Most people had thought the trade market had kind of died down, um, and people were saying they were prepared to keep him into the season and trade him right before the trade deadline. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, the Panthers obviously were interested. I think the Jets got as good as uh, as good of a trade package as they could have gotten um, for Donald with a sixth this year and then a second and a fourth next year. And then a Panthers side of things, I think this trade basically says that you know they're not going to have a chance to draft a QB at eight. I think that says guaranteed four QBs will go before them and uh, maybe even five. Um, so I think this was the Panthers saying, hey, look, we know we're not going to get um, the quarterback that we want. And whoever that is, I, I mean, we can make our guesses, but I think that's them saying we need to move on from Teddy Bridgewater. We need a quarterback upgrade. We're not going to get one in the draft. Donald's our best option. Interesting. And Nathan, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, I mean, first you have to talk about the the news that happened a week and a half ago. And we talk about um, what we found out at the pro days when we saw that San Francisco traded up to three. I think that trade in itself put the Panthers. Nate, I think you um, cut out for a now second. Now we have teams one through four. Oh, sorry. Um, you look at how after a week ago, after the 49ers moved up to three, you looked at now that teams one, and two, three, and four were probably going to take a quarterback. So the Panthers were probably sitting there at eight thinking, all right, it's either probably going to be Mac Jones or if someone lucky enough doesn't take a quarterback, one might fall into our hands. But I don't think they wanted to roll that dice. So them getting a guy like Darnold to put in a really good ecosystem in terms of coaching staff and players around him, this is the best surrounding cast that he's had since he's gotten into the league, probably since he's gotten from USC too. And we're talking about the culture shock that you get from Matt Rule to Adam Gase in those two. I think it's I think it's a great fit for both sides. Yeah, I think starting off is just is the best place for Sam Darnold. I really like how the the position he's in there with with a with an above average supporting cast and a really good offensive coordinator in in Joe Brady and just a really good environment, as you said, with Matt Rule. So for Sam Darnold, I think this was the best case scenario. And for the Jets too, because we knew the market did thin out. They wanted to wait until they saw Zach Wilson throw live to really be able to move on from Sam Darnold and commit to picking Zach Wilson second overall. They were able to do that and still get a decent return. And so it really comes down to I think maybe not that there wouldn't be a quarterback left for the Panthers in the draft, but that they just didn't want to go into the draft with that uncertainty of who is going to be the one there. Are we going to be comfortable with maybe taking the fourth or fifth guy at, off the board at the quarterback position? Let's instead go and make a move for Sam Darnold. So it really does make a lot of sense overall. And I think this leads us into our first uh, question because we've really been assuming that the Panthers are going to be going quarterback in the draft. And now we have to really rethink this, this pick that sits in the top 10 in terms of who is going to be going off the board at eighth overall. And so the question we got was, is Kyle Pitts a good fit for the Panthers? And I'll let you start off with that, Alex. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think Kyle Pitts is a, a great prospect. Um, if, if you saw my bold take um, today on our Instagram page, I, I think that the Falcons should strongly consider picking him. If I were the Falcons, um, I would, assuming the quarterbacks go off that we expect to be off the board, one, two, and three. Um, but we're not. I'm not going to get into that. But the Panthers, I mean, I, I think Kyle Pitts would be a great fit, and you know, he would just add another weapon to that offense that already has. You know, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Pitts would might be day one the best receiver. Um, he's a tight end, but he would be the best pass catcher in that offense. And I think it would help Sam Donald tremendously. Um, and, you know, I think that trade for Donald was great because it opened up their options so much 
in the draft. They don't have to give up a lot of draft capital um, for him, as you know, people are thinking they could trade up. Uh, but now they have that option to pick Pitts. I think it would be a great fit for him. I think it would be a great pick for the Panthers at eight. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it, if if he's there, that he's going to be the pick. There's, I just don't see them passing on on Pitts there at eight. But he might be gone before then. So I w- I would take a look at, at them maybe taking Panay Sewell if he slips to eight, and if both of them are gone, maybe they take the first defensive player off the board. I mean, there are talented defensive players. Maybe it's a cornerback like Patrick Sertan. So I think now they're really in a good position to make a, a solid selection at eighth overall, and it's most likely going to be one that benefits Sam Darnold and. That would certainly be Kyle Pitts. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on potentially uh, Kyle Pitts going to Carolina, Nathan? Well, honestly, I can even see him going as low as three. So if he gets to eight, it's a win-win for for most people. But I think when you take a quarterback like Sam Darnold, who some people consider is broken and hard to fix, I think putting a generational te- – ah, I hate to use that word. Use, like, uh, <laughs> I used it. Like Kyle Pitts. But with him and you're surrounding him with as many people who could catch the ball and get open as possible, I think that's step one in the long-term process of getting Sam Darnold's confidence back and getting him to reach his potential that we all know he has. I don't think the doubt ever has been, can Sam Darnold be a good NFL quarterback? It's what tools and what is necessary to unlock it. And I think getting a guy like Pitts to put with all these playmakers and a guy with creativity like Joe Brady who could really open up the offense for him, I think it'd be perfect. But I think you're right. That's an if, and I think – there's plenty of other options to help him. Like you said, Panay Sewell, Rayshon Slater, um, and just defensive players that'll help get the offense on the field longer. So I agree. I think it's a great fit if he's there. Yeah, and I just want to touch on quickly. You said, you know, I know this isn't one of the questions, but you said you don't like to use the term generational talent. And and I agree, but I, I really think Kyle Pitts is deserving um, of the term. I, I think a generation is, one, you know, what, 10, 15 years, I think. You would consider a generation, maybe 10. We haven't Some. seen a tight end like Kyle Pitts come out with his talent levels and his skill set in more than 10 years. Most people say Vernon Davis. So to me, that's a generational talent. I'd say he's generational as a pass catcher. I wouldn't call him yeah. a generational tight end prospect, but a, at the within the tight end prospect as a pass catcher, he's, he's generational. Or even I would consider like generational athlete in terms of a guy who's pushing 6'6", 345 pounds with an 83-inch wingspan and a guy who runs a, what was it, a 4-4-4 unofficial. So and he I didn't think, even run straight. Yeah, I think in, in an athletic in an athletic specimen, he's generational. I just am always careful because we see, you know, in draft Twitter and in, you know, all over, we see, you know, guys getting called generational. And, you know, it, the more people who get called it, the less valid the word ends up being. So I always try to hold off. But I, I agree. Kyle Pitts is a freak and – He's going to make any offense better no matter where he ends up. So I agree. He's definitely a great prospect. Yeah, so now I think we can move on to our second question. Um, Kyle Pitts is also involved, but the question is, if you include Kyle Pitts, who are the top four to five wide receivers? We'll, we'll say pass catchers, right? So, you know, the top four wide receivers plus Kyle Pitts. Where, where would you rank them? I mean, I – I would honestly have Kyle Pitts ahead of any of the wide receivers in this class. And I think that just speaks to the the matchup nightmare he is. We have saw time and time again, the top cornerbacks in this draft class go up against him and get torched. I mean, Patrick Sertan held up, but he still allowed some completions. I mean, uh, Kelvin Joseph, J.C. Horn, I mean, Kyle Pitts got the best of, of them and their, their potential first round picks. So I think... He, with how good he is of a pass catcher and the the potential we see as a blocker, because I mean he ha- he has some technical refinement that he needs to to clean up, but he's he's a willing blocker and he's strong, and those are two things you can't really teach. And so I think he has so much to build off on that. That I, I really have Kyle Pitts ahead of any of the pass catchers. And then in order right now, I have the wide receivers in the top four. It's like for me, it's a it's a top four, and then a clear break off at wide receiver. I have Jamar Chase first, Devontae Smith second. Rashad Bateman third, and Jalen Waddle fourth. And man, it it's tough to to order these four. I, I do have Jamar Chase a cut above the other three, but then the other three are just so close together for me. And it's it's all about where they're gonna land and how they're gonna be developed. Because man, I it I almost feel uncomfortable having Jalen Waddle fourth. Because if you coach him up correctly and he can stay healthy, he can be the best wide receiver in this class. And so I, I have all four of these graded like on the fringe of like a top 10 pick. And that's just that's just how good the top of this receiver class is, especially considering that, as I said, Pitts might be better than all of them. 
Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, this is just another receiving class. Like proceed. That's but you know, after last year's, I thought it couldn't get any better, and then we get to this receiving class, and it just yeah. becomes a little bit more complicated. But I think you're right. I think Kyle Pitts is really a step above any other receivers, just in terms of how many places that you could use him, how good of a blocker he is, how much of a catch radius he possesses, along with his four four speed at his size, and. I think he is a step above Chase, but when you look, I'm a little different. I got Chase, Smith, Waddle, Bateman, but mm. I think Pitts is definitely a step above everyone else. And again, that just speaks to how much of a size speed specimen he is. And my only worry is you have to give him an offensive coordinator that will use him in, in the different alignments that he allows you to. I mean, you have to be really creative with a guy like this because he can stretch a defense. I mean, you you can't go wrong with a guy like Kyle Pitts. And I think that's what puts him ahead of everyone else is because I think you, you can use Devonte Smith in a wrong way to where he'll, he'll flame out. I think Jalen Smith has the potential. Out. And I think Kyle Pitts, you really can't go wrong. Yeah. So I'm going to pose you guys a question after um, I give my top, my top five and you'll, you'll understand what I'm going to ask in a minute. <clears throat> Um, but I agree with you guys. Um, I have Pitts ahead of all the receivers. Um, and my top five will be slightly different than you guys. All the same players, though. So I have Chase um, – I'm sorry. Well, Pitts first, and then Chase, then Waddle, then Smith, then Bateman. Really? Um, yeah. I I just – the things I see with Waddle, um, I think that – well, between Waddle and Smith, I think Smith is a, will be a little bit more scheme-dependent um, then Waddle will. I think Waddle is a, a really, really good route runner, um, and he's he's a little thicker than Smith, which helps um, in my mind a little bit. Um, and I love his speed, his ability to stretch the field, and I, I think they're both again, like you said, Costa. They're all great prospects. Yeah. Um, and I, for me, it just I feel like Waddle, um, or I feel like Smith could be worse if he's in a wrong system. I feel like he needs to be a little bit more scheme fit where I think Waddle, obviously whatever scheme you put these guys into will determine their success. But I think if you put them in the worst scheme possible for them, I think Waddle would do better than Smith. So that's kind of my reasoning there. And I also, like I said, I love Waddle's speed. Um, But the question I want to ask you guys is the three of us have Bateman as a top five wide receiver, but it seems like Bateman's name has pretty much been thrown out of the first round. Um, and a lot of, you know, people around the NFL, it seems like aren't too high on Bateman. So what, why do you guys think that that's happening? I mean, it's, it's tough to say because for me, when I want to watch this whole wide receiver class, Bateman is right there with the top three. And then the other guys that I like, like like Terrace Marshall or Kadarius Tony or Dwayne Eskridge, I like those guys a lot, but they're not in the same class as Rashad Bateman. I, I do think, though, that other wide receivers are probably more on an upwards trend than Rashad Bateman. And this it doesn't mean that Rashad Bateman didn't play well in 2020. It's just that the Rashad Bateman we saw in 2019 might have been even better than the one we saw in 2020. And because of the fact that we didn't, instead of seeing him emerge, like for like with Terrace Marshall or even like with Elijah Moore, that we took, we saw maybe a slight step back. And that might have been due to, to the confusion of the COVID season. I know he opted out and then opted back in. So that definitely had its impact. But I think that might be the, the explanation. But other than that, I, I really am not sure because I, for me, Rashad Bateman is, a, is easily a top four receiver in this class. Yeah, Nate, what do you think about <clears throat> Bateman's perceived fall um, around NFL uh, scouts? Um, well, I I guess we get um, – do you prefer style over, st- over substance, right? And I think when you get guys like – um, Devonte Smith, who's a Heisman Trophy winner, and you get a guy like Jalen Waddle, who runs a four-two-seven, and has all these seventy-yard touchdowns, you know, stretching the field. Then you got like Jamar Chase, who's the Boletnikoff Award winner in his like freshman se- or freshman or sophomore season, and you play in such a prolific offense. I think that flash and like that, that like that extra mile in terms of like notoriety, I think that just automatically puts them ahead of a guy like Bateman, who's been solid all of his time, but hasn't really achieve those lengths as those other three. 
whether that's right, it's really not for, not for us to decide, but I think that's definitely why we've seen him lose steam in terms of um, NFL projection. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because, you know, Costa, guys like you mentioned, Kadarius, Tony, Elijah Moore, they were putting up highlights um, in the 2020 season. And I don't think Bateman – I don't want to say Bateman take a, took a step back from 2019 to 2020. So I think a combination of his 2019 film was better than his 2020 film and the fact that he wasn't just consistently producing highlight plays, um, and that could be due to a variety of reasons, you know, the offense, the quarterback – or, you know, he just has a different skill set than guys like Elijah Moore and Kadarius Toney. Um, but I think we can all agree that he's definitely being slept on um, this draft season. And, you know, he might end up going and who knows, maybe mid to late round two even. And I would, I don't think he drops that far. I, I mean, I don't know. Some people I've seen him wide receiver eight behind guys like Tony. And so, I mean, wherever he's drafted – um, in the second round, it's going to be a steal. Yeah, and that brings us to the next question, which is, will a wide receiver like Terrace Marshall go in round one? So if we're considering that Chase, Smith, and Waddle likely in that order are the first wide receivers taken, now let's go to the bottom of round one. Who do you think are going to be maybe that one or two receiver that, 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 that slips in? I think, honestly, it's really going to depend on which teams like which receivers. I think you could throw out a lot of names that you could see go in the end of round one. I would say obviously not all of them. I could see a guy like Kadarius Tony go in the end of round one. I know Elijah Moore's gotten a lot of late round one buzz as of the past two weeks. Um, I, I think if you're if you're betting on one of the let's say second tier receivers that's going to go in round one, I would probably say Elijah Moore. I think he's definitely picked up steam after his pro day. Um, Terrace Marshall, I I don't think. He'll go round one. I think he'll be an early round two guy. Um, I just – I think that, you know – I mean, he did have a really good pro day with his 4 3 eight, 40, um, But I just think that he's he's not on the same tier, um, not in my eyes, but in NFL scouts' eyes as some of the other guys like Tony and Moore. Yeah, I think you're right in pointing out that it really depends on what what is the preference of the team that will be picking wide receiver. And I really think only four wide receivers are going to go in round one because if you look at that late first round stretch, it's a lot of teams that need offensive linemen or edge rushers, and those positions are definitely going to be prioritized, especially because that wide receiver class is so deep and you can get like real impact starters on day two at the wide receiver position. But if I, I agree with you that I think if one slips in, it would it might be Elijah Moore. I'm looking at the Saints at at 28th overall. They really value that that versatility to be able to play in the slot or out wide. And uh, it, it sounds like Elijah Moore's name is being really hot in that in that sense. And with the 4-3-5 that he ran at his pro day, so I think Elijah Moore probably has the best shot at being that fourth wide receiver that slips into round one. But I mean, to to go back to the question, Terrace Marshall definitely could be that guy. Yeah, Nate, what do you think? Uh, what did you, you say? Sorry, you guys cut out for a minute there. Oh, no. Um, what do you think of the second-tier receivers? Who do you think could go um, in, you know, end of round one? I like you, like you guys said, it's it's really a matter of like personal preference because you see like you, like you guys said, like it's the first four receivers and like then what? So – um, I think, like you said, Terrace Marshall, I could see sneaking into like 28 through 32. I could see Elijah Moore with his ridiculous pro day sneaking in the back half. I could see Kadarius Tony. I think it's really those three that you're going you're gonna to look at first. Um, but I, I, we've seen um, more interesting things happen than some of the later round sleeper guys moving up. And it's just a matter of your preference. And it's just a matter of where these guys see them as scheme fits. Cause Kadarius Tony doesn't fit what everyone's looking to do. I mean, you have to have a creative offensive coordinator who's really looking to move him around and get him in the slot and, and use him in motions. And, and Terrace Marshall, I mean, you, you really don't know how teams are going to look at a six, three, 192 pound guy who doesn't have a ton of um, notoriety in the big circle. And he's a little bit raw in terms of just like the finer nuances of position. So it really just depends on what GM we're talking to. And it also depends on how the first four receivers fall because no one knows what's going to happen in the top 10 picks. And I think one, like, one surprise pick and maybe eight through 12 could knock the receiver back, maybe six or seven picks. So it really just depends on what happens in the top 15. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point because last year we saw C.D. Lamb fall to 17th overall and nobody was expecting him to go to go that far. So unless we have something else to say on the topic, I think we can move uh, on to our next question, which is yet another receiver question, kind of a, a peculiar one and one that we won't spend too much time on. But the question asks if the Seahawks drafting Frank Darby in the seventh round would be a good pick. And for me, I have a 6.9, which is indicative of a late sixth round grade on Frank Darby. I think he's a tough physical wide receiver who can be a contributor if he stays healthy. So, I mean, in the seventh round, I I, I would definitely approve of taking a, a throwing a dart on, on him. And what do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I have an early seventh, 7.2 um, on Darby. And, you know, the seventh round, I think you're really looking for, you know, flyer guys. You know, maybe they'll have an impact on special teams. Um, Maybe they'll, you know, be a good fifth receiver um, and, you know, and the guys might not even make the team. Um, so, yeah, I think Frank Darby would be a good pick uh, for the Seahawks in the in the seventh round. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a definitely you're right. It's definitely an interesting name. And I think we all saw him break out in the in the in the senior bowl circuit. But I mean, me personally, the Seahawks could go there. And I, I wouldn't question that if he ends up being being there. I think he's a lot similar to a guy that they used to have in David Moore. Um, I think he's he's very similar to that build. So I mean, if they prioritize guys with that skill set, I definitely think that could be a, a good fit. Um, Seahawks. This is one of those teams that they have very little blue chip like chances to get elite players because realistically speaking, I think they could go in a lot of different directions with the seventh pick. They can get a developmental old lineman there. They can get um, a DB because they lost Shaquille Griffin. So I think while Frank Darby remains one of those options, I don't think you can go wrong with um, with any type of position there, honestly. Yeah, and now let, let's bring it back to the high-profile early picks because this question that we have straight up asks us, what will the 49ers do at quarterback at number three? And I mean – I know I've heard a flurry of information. I mean, I think right when it came out, people were saying Lance. And then as as these uh, reporters really started plugging into their connections around the league, they started hearing Mac Jones. But there still also have been whispers of Justin Fields. So, I mean, I think my gut would be, given the reliable reporters that have said Mac Jones, like um, Peter King or Daniel Jeremiah, I would, maybe Mac Jones. But I, really, I don't think we know yet. I don't think anyone really knows. And it's also because I've heard that Kyle Shanahan – doesn't hasn't even he's ha, he's consulted the opinion of some of his uh, offensive assistants and especially those that in in the working in the quarterbacks room, but he hasn't told them his opinion. So I think they're trying to keep keep this a little close to the vest. So it might just be really a guessing game, but I, I'm really intrigued to to hear uh, who you guys think right now would be the would be the pick in your minds. So like you said, Costa, when everything came out, people most people immediately thought it was Lance, and then. A day or two later, people said, no, it's actually Jones. And then Albert Breer came out and said, look, the 49ers don't know who they want to pick yet. They That's want hard to believe. I think they have an idea, um, but I don't think they're they're completely set yet. I think they what they said, and I believe this, that they didn't want to have to do – they knew they were going to take a quarterback. They knew they wanted one. They knew they wanted to trade up for one. They didn't want to have to do their snooping around secretly over the past, you know, next month. Moving up to three allows them to do whatever research on the quarterbacks they want. I I find it hard to believe that they trade up to three for Mac Jones. I think they gave up way too much. They, they're trading in pretty much three first-round picks and a third-round pick for a quarterback. And trading three first-round picks and a third for Mac Jones just doesn't make any sense to me. I think when you trade in that many draft picks, you want a massive upgrade. And Mac Jones does not provide you with that. I think people made the argument for Mac Jones. They look at the kind of quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan has had. He's a run-first guy. He wants to be able to say to the quarterback, hey, look, uh, this is your first read. If he's not open, throw it here. And he just wants a quarterback to do exactly what he wants a quarterback to do. The thing I'll point out is, Trey Lance ran a run-first system in in his time at uh, North Dakota State. So that's something that, to me, is kind of getting overlooked a little bit. 
Trey Lance would fit well in the Kyle Shanahan offense. So right now, a month from now, with all that said, I'm I'm leaning Trey Lance. What about you, Nathan? Uh, I, I have a lot to say about this subject matter. Um, I think that when you look at what you, what the today's quarterbacking is is developing into, I think in terms of guys who can extend plays, guys who can move around, and if something's not there, if the play calls bad, make the play right. Matt Jones is the opposite of, of that. I think a guy like Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, whoever's left over, or a guy like Trey Lance will give Kyle Shanahan an opportunity to bring his offense back to the Robert Griffin the third days in Washington and give him a chance to really get all of his playmakers involved and give his offense more multiplicity in terms of what they can run in terms of zone schemes, gap schemes, RPOs. I think giving Kyle Shanahan, because I mean, realistically, you got to look at the trends of their picks in the past few years. I mean, Debo Samuel, a guy you can move everywhere and, and incorporate in a lot of different ways. Brandon Ayuk, a guy you can incorporate in a lot of different ways. I think this offense is boating more towards a guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance in terms of just making sure that you can attack the defense in all 53 yards of the field and making sure that you have a quarterback who can make you right. Because we've seen that Shanahan gets very frustrated when Jimmy Garoppolo can't escape pressure. And, and like we've seen like, I couldn't agree more. Like you see these coaches who go against guys like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson all the time. They have to be envious of just the amount of things that they could call for those type of quarterbacks. So I think that's why, to me, Matt Jones is smoke to try to get a team like the Patriots or the Redskins to try and move up as far as they can. And I think they're going to end up taking whoever's left over from the Jets pick. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, I, I want to point out one thing that I, I like. First of all, I I'm saying that I, I right now I would say it's Mac Jones because of what we're hearing from some of these reliable reporters. I would absolutely not go Mac Jones. I'd be I'd be picking Justin Fields in this situation. But the other thing is, I think these guys who are really plugged in around the league, they're what they're hearing is not from these people around the league saying we know that it's the four, the 49ers want to take Mac Jones. It's maybe the gut feeling that these people around the league are having because I found out today that Kyle Shanahan is really keeping this close to the vest and not sharing it with even other members of his staff in terms of who he's preferring at the quarterback position. So really if nobody really knows, and it's just the gut feeling of people around the league that it's going to be Mac Jones, that by no means indicates that it will be Mac Jones. People are maybe looking at quarterbacks he's liked or had in the past, such as Kirk Cousins or, Jimmy Garoppolo, because they did pay Jimmy Garoppolo, and a, a large part of the the reason they're moving on from him is not just his ability on the field, but his lack of ability to stay on the field. He's missed 23 games in the last three years. But I really think that people might be thinking it's Mac Jones for that reason, not realizing that, look, the game has evolved, as Nathan has said, and that's why I'd be picking Justin Fields, is because you need somebody who, when the play breaks down, can scramble, can evade the rush, can find someone on the run. You really need that. And it's teams that have those weapons, such as Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Josh Allen, that are finding success with these young quarterbacks. And so I'm thinking that, look, Kyle Shanahan is brilliant. We know that. And the game is evolving, and I think he can evolve with it. He's so smart that I couldn't – It's it is hard to see him making – what I would perceive as a mistake in selecting Mac Jones because he just isn't nearly as dynamic – as Trey Lance or Justin Fields. So while everyone is saying Mac, or a lot of people are saying Mac Jones, including these really plugged in reporters, man, I, I think you guys might be onto something and thinking that it's, it really could end up being either Fields or Lance. And I, I think it's going to be a fascinating thing to, to, to watch unfold. And I actually really wonder if come draft day, how good a sense are we going to have of who it is at third overall? Like, is, is this one of those situations where we know what name is going to be called or are we really going to be like on the edge of our seat once it gets to this third pick? I think it's going to end up, if you guys remember in 2018 with the Browns pick, no one really had any idea. People were saying, oh, it could be Josh Allen, could be Sam Darnold. Nobody was thinking Baker Mayfield. And then we found out that um, John Dorsey was the GM at the time, right? Um, he hadn't told anyone. He hadn't even told the owner who he was going to pick. It was only he knew. Then he told everyone a day before the draft. And that's when all those rumors about Baker started coming out. 
So we knew 24 hours in advance that they were going to take Baker. We had no, no not, not even 24 hours in advance. It was the day of the draft that we found out. You're right. You're right. It was draft morning that when all the rumors came out. Um, I think it's going to be a similar situation to that. He has to tell people before they make the pick. He has to tell the owner. He has to tell the GM. Somehow word's going to get out of who they're going to pick. My assumption is it's going to come out draft morning, similar to the the Brown situation in 2018. The one thing I want to point out um, that uh, a point that M- Mike Lombardi made um, on his the GM Shuffle podcast, he said that you also have to look at um, his father, Mike uh, Kyle's father, Mike Shanahan, and the quarterbacks he had success with, and those quarterbacks were John Elway and Steve Young. Those were guys that can move around, that could run, they could avoid pressure. So maybe it seems like in the past Kyle's liked the immobile quarterbacks. Maybe he just likes the quarterbacks that he knows will do exactly what he says. That doesn't mean he necessarily prefers an immobile quarterback over a mobile quarterback. Uh, so I think if if he believes that, that Trey Lance will do what he tells him, and I, I tend to think that he will – because he was in a run-first system. He had the, the talent to say to his coach at North Dakota State, no, I want to throw the ball 30 times a game because I can. He was in a run-first system. So to me, that shows me that he's willing to do what his coach tells him is the best thing to do. So I, that's why those few reasons are why I'm leaning Lance. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good. It's Hey, this is this is really almost the storyline of the draft because it's really settled in as Trevor Lawrence first, Zach Wilson second. The draft starts at third overall, and I mean, I, I I'm definitely so excited to see how it unfolds. And our next question here is uh, in the next with the next couple picks, actually, if the Falcons take Panay Sewell at fourth, is Chase more likely to the, to be the pick at five over Slater? I don't think the Falcons are taking Sewell at four, and honestly. It, even if Sewell is on the board at five, I think the Falcons are, or, or the Bengals are going Jamar Chase. I mean, that's just that's everything that I've heard from from these from these guys in the media, like Albert Breer, Peter King, and a couple others are, are saying Jamar Chase at five, and it's really starting to look that way. I I think I would pick Sewell just because you can get a really big good impact players at the wide receiver position on day two. But it's sounding like it's it's going to be Chase at five, whether or not. Um, Nysool is available. So what do you think about that, Nathan? I, I think I think to take a receiver over an offensive lineman after we saw the beating that Joe Burrow took for yeah, exactly. as many games as we saw him play. I mean, the game that really sticks out in my head is the Philadelphia Eagles game where I saw that kid pulling dirt out of his face mask for like three of the four quarters. So I think I think in terms of when we're talking about a receiver class that has guys in round two like Tony, possibly Marshall, um, Elijah Moore – and just all these like really solid day two receivers. I think missing out on a blue chip tackle like Panay Sewell, and everyone's worried like, oh, are they going to move Jonah Williams? Are they going to move Riley Rife? I don't think it really matters. I think you pick Sewell and you pick Slater, and I think you figure it out later and put your best five guys on the offensive line, and your quarterback will prosper. Because I think we forget like the Bengals' receiving core isn't necessarily devoid of talent, and they haven't always gotten that talent at the top of the first round. I mean, you look at T. Higgins, they got him at what, pick 64, 63. He was the top of the second. Oh, yeah, top he was 33. Um, and look what he did. I mean, he ended up coming on and being a really, really good player for them at the end of the year. And I think, I think really overpaying for a receiver and compensate and like sacrificing offensive line protection for a quarterback coming off a major injury, I think that's a big, big mistake. Yeah, so just to go back to the question for a second, because it was asking if the Falcons take Sewell at four. I don't think that's going to happen. I no, think no, if the Falcons stay put, there's been rumors going coming around today that the Falcons are looking to trade out. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they stay put, they're either taking a quarterback or Kyle Pitts, in my opinion. If, I think that's if you don't want one of those guys, they're getting out of there. Um, so I think we can kind of take that first half of the question off. That's not going to happen. Sewell's Sewell's not going to go before pick five. Um, but I agree with you guys. I mean, you, you have to – if I was the Bengals, I would take Sewell at five. You need to protect Joe Burrow. Um, and, and something I'd point out, like, Nate, you mentioned the question of what do you do with Jonah Williams or Riley Reef. If I remember correctly, some people were, had some talk about moving Jonah Williams inside when he was coming out into the draft. Yeah. So 
if I'm the Bengals, I take Sewell and either move Williams inside or maybe Riley Reef isn't what you expect and you bump over Williams to right side. But I don't think you have to worry about Reef and Williams, I think. Sewell will be the best one on your offensive line. If Reef's good enough to start at right tackle, you start him there, you bump Williams inside and maybe put him next to Sewell, then you have a power on the left side of the line. Or you bump Williams over to right tackle and Reef the back up. Yeah, I mean, I just want to get get a little off track here. And I, I Nathan, you said that you think the, the Falcons are going to be picking Kyle Pitts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, it, if that does happen, now that we've seen Carolina – trade for Sam Darnold, which we assume takes them out of the QB market in the draft. If quarterbacks go one, two, and three, and then neither the Falcons nor the Panthers are picking a quarterback, what other, what two teams are going to be picking the two remaining quarterbacks out of the top five? Like, I think New England could be moving up for one of them, but like, I, it's tough to find two teams that are going to be taking these guys. Maybe Denver. Maybe. I that's, mean, yeah, that's what I was thinking. If Justin Fields falls to nine, Denver can't pass. Yeah, it's just it, it's tricky because if the quarterbacks go one, two, three, and then there's two left, you're, you, I mean, they I don't think they go nine and fifteen. Maybe the Patriots jump the Broncos, and then Broncos take the fifth one. I don't know. I think that would be really interesting if, if Pitts was picked at fourth, just to see how how that would unfold at the quarterback position after that. Okay, now that the Panthers have their quarterback, what? For a second, let's assume that the 49ers take either Fields or Lance. Let's assume they don't take Mac Jones. Hypothetically, yes. Where does Mac Jones go? Because the Panthers will go. The 49ers and the Panthers throughout this whole draft process in the top half of the draft have been the only two teams connected to Mac Jones. The 49ers pass them. The Panthers have their quarterback. Where does Mac Jones fall? I don't believe the Patriots are looking at Mac Jones. I think what we've seen with with them re-signing Cam Newton is if they're going to be bringing in a rookie quarterback, it's one that can sit behind Cam Newton, run the same type of plays with the with those uh, designed QB runs, those RPOs in that in that manner. So I I mean I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe it's Washington that 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 moves up for for Mac Jones in that situation. What do you think, Nathan? I think Nate's reconnecting, but I'll just say what I think, and then he can go after me. I, I don't think they'd have to trade I think, up for him. I think it really, like you said, it just depends. And I think, honestly, in terms of – I'm not talking about Mac Jones in this specific sense. I'm talking about quarterbacks in general. No. You're good, Nate. I think we can. I think we can hear you. All right, well, I'll just keep going on with – Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, I think, honestly, a team that you can't rule out in terms of taking a quarterback if they fall is the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, wow. we have they have a new coaching staff. They have a bunch of new – Oh, Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a that's an interesting point. I mean, if if – I don't know. Maybe Justin Fields falls to twelve and they take him. No way. I mean, the 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 on that. But crazier things have happened. I mean, yeah, you're. I mean, you're right. I, it's. I think. I think in short, it what who the 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 forty are picking at three, and then whether or not the Falcons are going quarterback at four is really going to have huge ramifications at. The, these subsequent picks in terms of where the quarterbacks are going to go. And man, if we see Lancer or uh, Fields going three and then the Pitts goes four, oh, it's going to be really interesting to see where the, where the latter two quarterbacks, including Mac Jones, go. And to move on to the next question, who will be the most surprising pick in the first round? I'm going to start this off. And I mean, th- I think this is going to be quite the surprise, but I was thinking about this that a really a shocker that could happen in the first round is. Maybe the Giants at number eleven take Aziz Ojolari. I think that they 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 want they need an edge rusher, and Gettleman loves his his guys on on both sides of, of the line. I wouldn't be shocked if it's Aziz Ojolari at, at number eleven because I've heard several people say that the Giants like Ojolari. 
we know they like drafting from Georgia. Andrew Thomas last year and Lorenzo Carter a couple of years ago. DeAndre Baker, too. So they have a, a big history of drafting uh, players from, from Georgia. And they're not afraid to make a pick that is unpopular, that is against the grain, that's not expected. A guy that people thought would be going after a few other at his position, like Andrew Thomas last year. He wasn't expected to be the first offensive tackle taken. So I mean, if, you, if you want a surprise first-round pick, I – I'll, I'll give you Aziz Ojolari to the Giants at 11. I, I don't think it's out of the, the realm of possibility, and it would definitely shock some people. Well, what about you, Alex? If you, What surprise first-round pick could there be? Yeah, so for me, um, I, I was thinking more along the lines of, of a guy that we'd be surprised to be drafted um, in the first round. And, and a guy that I'm going to mention is, is, to me, it would just be an absolute shock. Um, but I've heard people – like Tutu Atwell, um, I know Daniel Jeremiah seems to be in love with him. Mm-hmm. All it takes is one team to be in love with him and give him a first-round grade. And this I, this would be an absolute shock to me. But, I mean, I would never even stand near him with a six-foot pole in the first round. But, just, I, I mean, you asked for a, a, a shocking first-round pick. I, I think all it takes is one team to, to see – what Daniel Jeremiah sees in him, um, and he somehow could be end up as a first-round pick. So that's how I took that question, as a guy that you wouldn't expect to see in the first round that could hear his name called on day one. Yeah, I think that that's that would, that would definitely be a shocker, and it's hard for me to see it. But, I mean, that's what the question's asking for. And, Nathan, what, what do you think could be a potential big surprise in the first round? Um, well, this is going to probably come as a surprise for all of you. And I, this is probably one that's going to get me like, for me, it's going to be Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. And I know that sounds crazy. And I know that he's raw and I know not a ton of people are, are big fans of like what he is like as a, as a floor. But I think when you look at a guy who scored a 10 out of 10 on the RAS scale, who's six eight, 316 pounds and runs a sub five forty, I think. I think he's going to be a guy that we see. And again, I know it sounds crazy to think of like a round three or a round four guy to go in the first round, but we've seen it in Damon Arnett last year as a guy who we all thought was going to go late day two. And he ended up going round one. And we saw Cleland Farrell, a guy who was a couple of years ago was going to go in, in round two, probably or the end of round one, he went up in the third pick. So I think ruling out a guy like Spencer Brown, who's an athletic freak making the jump, I think, I think you can't rule it out because, again, the team, this league and the NFL values athleticism, upside, and size. And I think towards the end of the first round, a team like the Chiefs or a team who needs to bolster their line with potential, I think you can't really go wrong with it. And Jim yeah, Nagy think- said it on his Twitter earlier, so I feel like I had to. Yeah, I mean, there's so many teams that need an offensive tackle late in round one, and every offensive tackle board is so different. There are just a lot of guys that could be going in that range, and it's it's really impossible to predict. And I mean, at the end of the day, it could be a guy who has all those testing numbers, all those tools like Spencer Brown. So I think that it's going to be really interesting to see who are those offensive tackles that go off late in round one. And maybe it's other guys that could be those surprising names because we, be, we might be expecting an Alex Leatherwood or um, Samuel Cosme or somebody like that. But what if it is Spencer Brown? What if it's Dylan Redunds? What, what if it's Jackson Carmen? maybe Liam Eichenberg? So, I mean, it's it's impossible to tell, and I think that's that's definitely interesting. Yeah, Redunds was one other name that I thought about. Um, Tony Pauling mentioned that he's getting a little bit of uh, late first-round buzz. The one thing I did want to bring up, though, that made me um, chuckle a little bit. Nate, you brought up two guys that we didn't expect to go in round one, um, Cleland Farrell and Damon, Damon Arnett, and, you know, both those happen to be Raiders picks. So I think if you were going to have to make a bet on who's going to make the most surprising pick in the first round, put your money on the Raiders. Yeah, it's it's interesting because but sometimes they actually do exactly what we expect. Like I, I know almost everyone knew that Josh Jacobs was going to be the pick, and it seems like every single mock draft has Jeremiah Usukoromoa at 17 to the Raiders. So, I mean, I guess either it comes out mm-hmm. of – field and you have no clue what happens or it's exactly what we thought so i mean they're, they're definitely an interesting uh drafting team and the next question is is kyle trask being overlooked just because he struggled against oklahoma i'll let you lead off on this one nathan uh no 
I guess is my is my is my short answer. Um, I think Kyle Trask is a guy. Again, this is what makes me intrigued about quarterbacks. Is I mean, Kyle Trask is is six five, six four, two twenty, modest arm talent, and I think really honestly, there's not a ton that really separates like what he really brings to the table from Mac Jones, just in terms of the fact that he gets the ball where it needs to go. He has a bunch of playmakers surrounding him. And that offense allows him to really isolate certain players and get the like scheme up plays to certain players. So I think what really separates Mac Jones is just mental acuity and, and accolades. But I'm saying in general, I think Kyle Trask isn't really being overlooked because of, of what you said his game against Oklahoma. I think he's being overlooked because he's not very mobile and he was surrounded by Kyle Pitts, Trayvon Grimes, Kadarius Tony, and all these guys in an offense that schemes up a lot of those plays. And I think he struggles with like full field reads. And I know that's a lazy thing to say just in terms of um, like pinpointing that. But I think in his offense, again, you see like skewed up shots to Kadarius Tony outside and Kyle Pitts and Trayvon Grimes. And I think so really, I think what what really puts him down on the board for me is he's not a modern prototypical quarterback. And I think he's a human joystick just where he's going to just get the ball to wherever button you press. And I think you're in a pro- that's how you're really going to utilize him. He's not going to make plays out of structure and he's not going to really expand your horizons in terms of your offense. I think he's just going to be a game manager in the national football league. So home is really what did it for him. Yeah. I don't think he's being overlooked at all. I think if, you know, like you said, Nathan, I think him and Mac Jones are a lot more similar than the general public might think. Um, but they're fairly close um, with my, my grades on them. But I think people might assume that Trask is being overlooked because him and Mac Jones are so similar and Jones is in the third overall conversation. But it's not that Kyle Trask is being overlooked. It's that Mac Jones is being completely overblown in my opinion. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I have a, a, a fourth-round grade um, on Kyle Trask. I see him as a, a solid backup. Um, he's going to be a guy that you, you can put in when your starter gets injured, um, and he's going to do exactly what you tell him. Um, he's not going to make any special plays. He's not going to try to be a superhero. He's going to say, all right, throw to this guy. He's going to throw to this guy. And he will he will go as far as the talent around him takes. He will not make the talent any better, um, but he won't make them too much worse either. Yeah, um, I mean – Oh, were you not done? No, I was. I was finishing up, so you can go. Okay, yeah. I mean, I just, I in December, it felt like there was a QB five battle between Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. Now, it, Mac Jones is in the mix to go third overall, and Kyle Trask is a round three guy. So, go figure. I because I don't get it. I think that I I have like a half round difference between the two. I think I have Mac Jones early third, and I have Kyle Trask late third. But I mean, the comparison to uh, Mac Jones a little beside the point in terms of answering this question. I think that in a sense, he is being overlooked, maybe not because of the Oklahoma game, but in general as a prospect, I, cause it really, it's really sounding like Kellen Mond and Davis Mills are going to be going ahead of him in the draft because they just have more athletic ability. They have stronger arms. And so they just possess more upside. But the thing of these quarterbacks that have these traits and that need those, this development on day two is that they very often don't hit. I mean, we've seen Will Greer. We've seen Davis Webb. We've seen Garrett Grayson. Sometimes these guys really flop. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking because I think that Kyle Trask won't be a huge flop. I think he's going to be a really good backup in this league. So I see a scenario in which Kyle Trask is a really good backup, serviceable guy. Can He can be a spot starter. And Davis Mills or Kellen Mond, or maybe both of them are just not even like QB2s in the NFL. And people are like, wow, how did they go ahead of him? So in that sense, he might be getting a little overlooked because there are these other quarterbacks that are right now not as good players as him being pushed up over him on draft boards because they have some of they have more enticing tools and more upside to uncover. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's just really hard to uncover that upside on with these day two guys that really aren't going to receive the commitment and coaching that the day one guys are going to receive at the quarterback position. Yeah, I thought that was a great point about the the day two guys, uh, the day two quarterbacks specifically often turning out as flops. And I think, like you said, the reason is probably because they don't get the attention that day one quarterbacks do. 
they'll be on the roster for, you know, a year, two years. And if they don't show any improvement, which why would they, if they're not getting any, any special attention, these guys, are, these are the guys that need the most attention in order to harness yeah. their talents. And unfortunately for them, they just don't get them. Um, moving on to our, our second to last question. Now it, we just asked about our thoughts on Carlos Basham, the defensive end from Wake Forest. Yeah, I think he's just he's just a really solid player. Uh, I think that he he's not overly athletic, but he's certainly athletic enough. He's strong. He's got some good pass rush moves, good diversity in his, in his skill set. And I like I have an early second round grade on him because while he doesn't have the, those special uh, dynamic athletic abilities that some of these other edge rushers have in this draft, he really is coming into the league more refined than than a lot of the other guys at the position in this draft. And so I think he's going to be a really solid pick for a team, likely in the, the first half of the second round, because he's just going to – I could see him being a, a, a solid starter for, for years to come in the NFL. That's just really how I project him. And how about you, Nathan? And we're just going to also show the, this comment, uh, some of the love we're getting for, for our guest here. What are, what are your thoughts on, on Carlos Basham? Is it my turn? Oh, um, I I think with with Boogie, I think I think what makes him special is, um, I think that he has positional versatility on the defensive line. I mean, you could play him as a three technique, you could play him as a five technique, you could play him as a wide nine technique, and I think his ability to convert speed to power and his ability to set a firm edge, and and he plays with great effort too. So you'll never worry about effort with him. I think that plus his hands and his positional versatility, and he could use him as a sub package, you know, two eye. You could use him in a lot of different ways, and I think that appeals to teams who are really just trying to find any way to get to the today's NFL quarterback. So, I think he's a guy that you could also see as a surprise top top back end of the first round in terms of Saints, Chiefs, guys like that. Because again, the NFL, it's like basketball. It's like the evolution of the NBA. We're we're starting to play positionless basketball, and guys who could do more are better, and I think. Boogie Basham is a guy who could really do a lot of different things for you and do them all very well. Yeah, I agree. I think something that you pointed out, Nate, you know, his his versatility. We saw him play along the defensive line in multiple positions. I think that's huge. Um, I don't think he, he has any, like, top-end special talent that some of these guys have, like, you know, Jalen Phillips' athleticism. Um, Quiddy Pay is near dominant versus the run. Um, Gregory Rousseau, a guy that has a ton of athleticism as well um, and great size and length. Um, but to me, Basham's just a, a really safe pick. I think what you see on tape is, you know, exactly what you're going to get from him. Um, and I, I think, like Costa said, he's going to be a really serviceable pass rusher. I also have a, a high second round grade on him. Um, I, I think he's, like you said, Nate, he's definitely a guy that you could see going in the end of the first round if, a team's in need of a pass rusher and falls in love with his versatility. Yeah, I agree actually, because this is a, he's kind of like the, the distinguishable unique guy in this draft class at the edge rusher position, because there's so many of these guys that have all the athletic abilities in the world, but really aren't technically refined right now. So a team in the back end of the first round, which these teams are generally uh, franchises that are really close to winning a Super Bowl, That's why they're picking in the, in the latter portion of round one, they might look at him and be like, okay, we know he can step in day one and give us good pass rush uh, productivity, be really good against the run, and they might opt for him over some of these uh, projects at, at the edge rusher position. So, I mean, I, I like I like that point that he might be end up slipping into round one, which people might not expect. And for our last uh, question, the question is, any chance that our Darius Washington is safety two? I mean, I think the answer is no. Uh, he's not the safety two on my board. I think his size really limits him, and I don't think he's the safety two on any NFL team's board because I, I really think that there's been a clear top three at this position in no particular order. Richie Grant, who was the senior bowl darling this year, uh, Javon Holland and Trayvon Morig are really – the, the cemented as the top three of this safety class. So, I mean, I would be, I'm intrigued to see how those three uh, fall in the draft order. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Richie Grant is the first one picked out of them, but I really don't see Ardarius Washington cracking that top three come uh, draft weekend. Yeah, I agree. I think like you said, Casa, there's the top three. Um, and I also have uh, a few other guys um, ranked ahead of Ardarius Washington. 
I think, it, like you said, his size is, is a little bit of an issue for me. It's going to limit him. Um, but, you know, the question was, do we see him as a safety two or a possibility as a safety two? And I, I give that, you know, next to no shot. I think the the first two safeties off the board are going to be any combination of the top three that you mentioned. Nate, what do you think about Ardarius Washington and where he where he falls in your safety order? Well, well, first of all, I, I want to just make sure I, I acknowledge that I appreciate Ardarius Washington as a football player. I mean, he's an athletic yeah. kid. And for being five foot eight and maybe a buck eighty, I mean, he plays with a dog in him and he he hits and he's not afraid. He plays physical and you gotta appreciate that. But I think you're right. I think it's a clear top three. And I think it's it could be any a mixture of anyone when we talk about after that in terms of Richie Grant, Javon Holland, and Trayvon Morig. Um, I don't think our Darius Washington will crack it, and I think our Darius Washington will end up being an early day three kind of pick. But I think he is a guy that we could see play in, in a bunch of different packages in the, in, a, in the NFL, and I think he's a good player. I just think there's people that you put ahead of him that possess a little bit more physical gifts and a little bit more of a size-speed ratio that could you could do a little bit more with and keep on the field for all three downs. But our Darius Washington is a damn good football player. Yeah, I think he'd be in the early day three range. He'd be a really solid pick, and he he definitely has a, an important role in, on an NFL team in his future. Just probably won't be one of the top three safeties off the board. And that that wraps up our Q and A session. But while we have Nathan on the air, is there anything else we, we'd like to to ask or or discuss? Um, I don't I don't have any any questions. But since uh, since we are bold take scouting, Nate, you have any? bold takes um for the draft coming up in less than a month now um well obviously i mean this could start an argument real quick but um justin fields is my legitimate qb2 right now and i don't i don't see that changing and I, i'm pretty sure cost aren't you the one who's a big zach wilson fan so i know that might stir you up a little bit but i mean no it doesn't stir me up i have zach wilson number two but I have Justin Fields right behind him, number three, and I totally see the case for Justin Fields. I, I love both of them. I think they're they're both franchise quarterbacks in the next level. So I mean, it's a definitely a very respectable opinion. It's splitting hairs too. I mean, I've I've lost sleep over this one by yeah. <laughs> by a lot. I think this is kind of similar to me, like between the Smith and Waddle debate. I think it, you can't really go oh, yeah. wrong either way. But I mean, you've seen like I don't know if you guys have like noticed it, but like the prevalence of groupthink right now is crazy in terms yeah. of one analyst saying that this is going to happen or that this should happen. And then a group of people just have like this one-sided one mindset that it has to happen or else, you know, it's a terrible decision. And I think with this draft in terms of the crazy year that we've had and in, in the crazy, you know, no workouts and no combine, I think it's really just going to end up being comfortability and who the GM and the scouts just have a feel for. So Anything could happen, and I just—that's definitely one of my bold takes. Alex, you're full of bold takes. What's one of yours? I made mine this morning. The, the Kyle Pitts that should go for to the Falcons. Um, I know Costa disagrees with with me on that one. He thinks they should take Fields. Um, and I would not—I would not hate on them for that pick at all. Um, if you want to hear my reasoning or read my reasoning for that, I won't get on, into it now. Uh, our, this podcast has been going on for a while. Um, thanks to everyone that stayed around. Oh, yeah. I, I just want to make one final point. Go ahead, Josh. When, 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 Nathan, when Nathan just said, I, 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 that really just brought to mind that this the groupthink point was, was just fascinating to me because there was no combine. So there was not this one spot where everybody from the NFL got together and really almost compared notes on some of these prospects. So very often the NFL kind of uh, develops somewhat of a consensus based on what they're hearing from each other at the combine. That didn't happen this year. And like I said about the Mac Jones reports is those are actually the gut feelings of the people inside the league and not what they're actually hearing. So do we really know what anybody is going to do? I think we might know way less than we do in normal years and we might not be realizing this. So we could be in store for maybe the craziest draft uh, that we've ever seen in terms of what we're expecting and what's actually going to happen. Oh, totally. And you mentioned a group think, and I want to bring up this last point before we end the podcast. When Chris Sims came out with his QB rankings um, a couple weeks ago, um, it was very far from what most people think, and everyone was hating on him for it. Do I agree with his quarterback rankings? No, not at all. But but I can appreciate the fact that he has a different opinion than – most people. And you, you saw the group think immediately. Everyone was going after him saying, oh my gosh, you're completely wrong. But that's not how it is in the NFL. There's not group think. There's a wide range of where people have certain prospects ranked. 
So there, there could very well be a team that has rankings similar to a guy like Chris Sims or something like that. But we don't hear about that because the team has to be secretive about it. Groupthink is what what kills the mainstream draft media. You see, everyone has pretty much the same the same rankings everywhere. You see, you know the same. I mean, I, I'm not going to make the argument. Jamar Chase is, in my opinion, easily the wide receiver one. But you see, so many people, you know, with the same wide receivers: Jamar Chase, um, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, and it's the same. And like Rashad Bateman isn't anywhere to be found, and that's partially due to groupthink. Some people high up in the media said, "Oh, you know, we don't like him," and then that trickled trickles down. So I just think, you know, groupthink is a huge part of um, NFL draft and like the covering that's done of the NFL draft. And at Bold Takes Scouting, we try to get rid of that groupthink a little bit, and that's that's part of the reason why we have our bold takes. They might they might not necessarily be bold to someone that is really, really watching the film and diving into everything. But to the the mainstream media, the mainstream draft media, it might seem like a bold take. So I just thought, you know, this, this is a good spot to end it, the idea of groupthink um, around the NFL draft. Um, again, Nathan, thanks for coming on. Um, maybe we'll, we'll get you in again before, before the draft, um, if you're up to it. Um, and thanks to everyone that's listened to this really long question and answer session. And thanks to everyone that submitted yep. questions. They were great. Um, we really enjoyed it. And, yeah, we'll see you next week.